0: Publishing for Profit podcast is brought to you by Ghostwriters and Co. Earn more money by publishing better content, and learn how to increase your thought leadership so you can build your brand. Head over to GhostwritersandCo.com for more information. That's GhostwritersandCo.com. And now, your host, Joel Mark Harris. Hello, and welcome to a very special edition of the Publishing for Profit podcast. This is the 50th episode, and this is your host, Joel Mark Harris. Today, we are interviewing uh, one of my really good friends, Hussein Halak, um, and we're doing a something a little bit different where we're alternating questions. So he gets to interview me a little bit, I get to interview him a little bit. Hussein is a very interesting serial entrepreneur. He helps uh, startups, small businesses. Uh, His main company is called Unleashed Adventures. So we talk a lot about podcasting, we talk about tech, we talk about startups, and we even talk about uh, a subject that is very close to my heart, which is journalism. Uh, So hopefully you enjoy this episode. Without further ado, here is Hussein Halak saying welcome to the 50th episode of Publishing for Profit. How are you today?
1: I'm doing very well. I was just fixing my face to make sure. To make sure. Where are those wrinkles? Can I hide those wrinkles? <laughs> That's what I was doing there, in case you're wondering.
0: Thanks for having me. So I wanted to do something a little bit different. Normally, my, my usual process is send you questions beforehand and you get some time to think about it. But this is a bit of a hot seat issue. So how I want to structure this and this and we may fall flat on our phases and this and I may need to re-edit everything, but we'll try it out, see how it goes. Is cool. I'll ask you a question and then you can re- you can answer and then ask me a question. It could be anything you like. So now's your chance. If there is some burning thing that you wanted to know about me, that you wanted to get out into the world and on record, now is your chance.
1: <laughs> oh, I mean, that's uh, that sounds interesting and exciting.
0: You know, Let's see. So, I've yeah, I, I've been doing this podcast for a year now. It's been a year. This I guess this week, and um I've learned ton a lot. And I thought you know I'd do something a little bit special and. One of the things is like, who do I want back on my podcast? And I couldn't think of a better guest than my good friend, Hussein, who um, I've known, you know, for like five, I think it's been five years, and I've been pestering him ever since. And um, I want, you know, you've, you're a serial entrepreneur, and I want to talk about one of your latest um, projects that you're working on. And that's with NFTs, which are non-fungible tokens. And you're partnering with Daily Hive to um, produce like a art uh, marketplace. Uh, so, can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Cool. Like go into the go into the hot stuff right away. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you're not publishing that before before we announce it. But um, so uh, there, I would say. So I've been fascinated with the world of blockchain for a while right now. And NFTs is one of these innovations that are made possible with blockchain. People collect all the time. We collect all kinds of stuff. Uh, We like to hold on to stuff that I think have value for us, Uh, whether it's fun, whether it's for it's uh, it's the cool thing to do because everybody else is doing it stuff like that from baseball cards we were just talking about stamps i like i never thought of myself as a collector but when i come back it's like i've always collected stuff like stamps or I, i remember coins as well i was fascinated with history and and uh i remember like being excited about getting a stamp i can't remember like i can't i can't imagine how geeky that was um so I think the the biggest thing is people like to collect and what blockchain technology has brought with NFTs or non-fungible tokens is the ability to authenticate that thing that you have. So in that time, we used to rely on, uh, it's very hard to, I think at that time, to fake stamps, maybe. <laughs> I don't know if somebody will fake stamps because it's, uh, but we rely on the person selling it to us to tell us the story and where we got it from and kind of achieve to, uh, this is authentic or old or. I mean, it's not like historic or, but at the time it was like that. Right now with technology, we can rely on blockchain technology so that the certificate that is there is there for everyone to see. And when you, it enables you to exchange it and give somebody that certificate. In the real world, you would have to kind of assign it to somebody and create another certificate and probably go to a governing body that verifies that. In a blockchain space, you can look at the chain of custody and see who, who owned this and who sold it to whom and who sold it to whom until you get to today where you're actually buying it. So you can verify all of that. And that's made possible with technology and with the marketplaces, it made it possible to exchange it between people. So now you can sell it to anyone in the world. You don't, you're not limited by vicinity or who's around you. And you're not limited to, uh, well, you have to exchange that plus there are a lot of stuff that are digital the, we're talking about physical stuff now you have stuff that are digital that is very hard to prove authenticity or or owner ownership you can somebody would say hey i created this meme or i created this uh, you know this thing but uh, and you you might be allowed to use it free online but how do you prove that now you own it let's say you want your name attached to it in some shape or form that is also what NFT makes possible as an innovation because of the blockchain technology, because of the ability of to save data in a database that is ledger-based, basically, just like a paper where you sign, write down every transaction that happened. So that's like my spiel <laughs> on the yeah. NFT. So which brings us to the, the, the kind of um, what we're doing with it. And the exciting thing here is that it is because of this possibility it gives creators artists which i one of my early startups in 2006 was helping artists uh, be online at the time um, from the middle east which was something very novel at the time i built the largest marketplace for arabic art and i love helping artists love working with creators they are kind of the people that are that create but not a lot of them have business savvy in the sense that they they don't They they are focused completely on the art of the act of creation. They and they rely on other people in 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 the community to take care of their um, their uh, let's say sales. uh, You know how much percentage they make, and then a lot of times they have no way to track that. So if you sold something when you're just a starting artist, and then it becomes as you continue to. Uh, raise your reputation, becomes more, more, uh, let's say, expensive, and people want to own it, you get nothing out of that. I think there are a few cities around the world, maybe I'm mistaken, London and New York, where you get 10% if it's sold there, but it's very hard to track. Now, as a digital artist, and there are a lot of them, you can uh, track who's selling your, where, where your sales are, and you can make money off of secondary sales, which is huge, because that actually may end up be more than the first sale that you sold it. So that's offers new opportunities for artists. And what we wanna do, uh, we were talking, I, I published my guide on, on uh, NFTs on Daily Hive. We had a conversation, the founders there are awesome. We, we, we know each other, we're friends. And they reached out and said, well, what do you think? Like, can, can we do something with, the, with this NFT thing? We, we, and they are very, they're a big art advocates. So I said yeah we can do that and we we've structured a deal where the artists can get most of the revenue and um, and we we we're, we're planning for a launch that um, that helps local artists in Canada and many different cities so that especially because I think they were the one of the most impacted by this uh, covid kind of uh, thing that that took took our world by surprise now um, still a year onwards we start like can we get rid of it so yeah that's that's what's happening so awesome. much information
0: no not at all now do you have a question for turn? me is it my is it your turn? turn yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: cool um, uh, why do you still do this like you said you're doing it for 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 a, for a year is it just momentum what are you getting out of let's say doing these uh, these podcasts
0: that's a good question so I would say it's not a I don't have a financial incentive to do the podcast. I'm not making tons of money off doing it. I think for me it's the joy and the fun of actually doing them. I, you know, back I, I graduated from journalism school, and part of the reason I love journalism is just being able to interview different people and to understand their perspective, get their stories, and that's really what I am able to get from this podcast. So, of you know, I get to connect with you. I get to meet new people who are up to some really cool stuff. Um, you know, I um, interviewed a find like a money a money coach or money therapist. She calls herself. I never even heard of that term before. Um, and so I got to learn a little bit about money therapy and, and really get to listen to why she does what she does and how she helps people. And I've heard so many amazing stories about people who have been in depression, um, who, people who've had weight problems and have managed to climb their way out of whatever problem or issue they've had and to li- live a very impactful, meaningful life through what they're doing now and sharing their story. And so I am able to, you know, I guess, take what they have, what their, their learnings are, and I, I can help them spread their message through, you know, through the medium of podcasting, which is really cool. Um, and yeah, I've met some really great entrepreneurs um, who I haven't been able or would not be able to connect with. Um, and, you know, and sometimes like even deep in relationships. So um, you and I, we did uh, a TEDx event where we did all the marketing for it. And I basically just went back through the list of people who <laughs> who were speakers and I, I got to interview them. And, you know, I talked to people who I haven't talked to in... I don't know, like five, yeah, five years, I would say, and and reconnect with them and learn what they're up to now and learn how they're doing and how they're coping with COVID. So uh, it's been a really great experience um, to be able to, yeah, reconnect with old people, old friends, uh, old colleagues, and meet some new people.
1: Did you just say old people? Old Old people. Old people. (laughs) Like, old friends. That's why, that's why you're connecting with me. I know I have some wrinkles, but I'm not that oh. old yet. Okay. <laughs> so um, uh, do I follow up or are you like, it's, it's a question? It's my question. turn now. Okay. Darn it. So
0: many <laughs> so, questions. Can you talk a little bit about the founding of your company, Unleashed Ventures? Why you decided to start it? And what is the what is the meaning behind the name?
1: Oh, okay. Good question. So um, the reason why I started Unleashed Ventures is there was me and there was the there was my team. I was um, we are the team that. So it's a bunch of people that I met throughout the last since 2016, um, and uh, and enjoyed working with them on several projects. So uh, I I have a I have a philosophy when I work with people is that you work with people by working with people. So it doesn't work for everyone. So because I've had the chale- the challenges of trying to work with people based on their resume or their history. And what ends up happening is while that speaks may speak to their uh, professional uh, ability and may speak to the, uh, what, what they're capable of doing, it doesn't speak to um, who they are as a person. So uh, it doesn't say is if we're gonna enjoy working together or we're gonna you know have a have a good time or a horrible time. So I ended up kind of one uh, thing to the biggest desire is I want to work with people that I like working with. I realize that I can do a ton of stuff, uh, and I have a high opinion of myself. <laughs> So uh, I was like, I can do anything, so why don't what is the, what is the thing that I want to do? I've, life is too short to, to have drama and drama usually comes from people and and you can't prevent against problems, but there are certain problems that are really dramatic, for example, the breakdown of a relationship. Like you can have the disagreements. The people I work with, uh, my friends and, and my co-founders, we have disagreements all the time. But it's not dramatic in the way like, oh, my God, this is like the end of a relationship or, you know, I can't believe you're doing this kind of thing. I hate those. Like Whenever I see them on TV, uh, I think those uh, uh, those dramatic like drama drama series, I was like, why the heck did they do that? I, I don't know if you you get into that. It's like. Are they stupid? Why are they doing this? So I don't want that in life. Like it's good to see it on TV. Maybe sometimes it's annoying even on TV, honestly, because I hate stupid people and, <laughs> and people acting stupid. But uh, so I didn't want that. I think that's the crux of, of everything that I do. So I had i had around me a group of people that i really enjoyed their presence enjoyed uh, their company and enjoyed building sh- stuff with them so we we had some fun and the, the good thing about that is you would recognize that there's a great thing where the success or the failure doesn't matter and when i what i mean by that is we understand that certain things will be successful and certain things will not just just and and luck has to do a lot with it like you can do the best of your ability, and then things may not work out. So I, I wanted people who are in tune with, the, um, with kind of the flow of life in the sense that you make mistakes, you try things, you throw shit at the wall, some will stick, some will not. Like It's as simple as that. Anybody who tells you, I think I'm happy to sit with anyone from the, uh, from the ones that we dub the smartest people in the world to the least smartest people in the world, uh, who have money, who have status, who have achieved a lot of things. I would dare them to say, this is not hugely dependent on luck. Uh, there is a luck element in it. You, you do something and it's at the right time, right? You, you meet the right people and it works. Of course, you have to work your ass off in certain element, but there's still an element of luck. And if you don't have that at certain times, it may not work. So I think that is, um, that is where it comes from. Uh, and I had those people around me. So we started a company called Nexty Centrum together. We raised funding. Um, and then we realized there's something we we love doing, which is always creating new products, always building something new. And we didn't want to create 10 companies, all the same team. Like that doesn't work. So we said, can we create a company that uh, that's more like a playground where we allows us the flexibility of building our own stuff and working with others that we like to help them because most of the time we will enter and build something to a certain point and then it's off to somebody else. And I learned that as well from my work with Launch Academy and my work in the tech community is there are different players in the community that would help a company at different stages of that company. So it's never yours uh, to control. It's kind of like your... your kind of like my 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 kids where i can do a part but the school has to do a part their friends have to do a part like you can never control fully even if you want to i'm a control freak so i want to <laughs> so um i think that is where it started and that's why we we did it and the reason between the war behind the world unleashed the word unleashed has been with me i think for over 12 15 years now i don't know where it started but there's something about um i think I have an idea where it started. It's, it has to do with coaching and working with others. So what I found is people have amazing capabilities. Like I've met people who uh, most of the great things in the world are done by great, uh, like ordinary people who do great things. That's, that's the principle. So it's not, the, the theory of the great person, for example, doesn't apply here. Like it's bullshit, I think. There are definitely people who are super smart people like there are but they're very very rare and um aside from that all the great stuff that are done in the world that we use every day are done by ordinary people like steve jobs is great but he doesn't design you know the chip in the in the in the mac he didn't he or he he kind of paved the vision but there had to be a ton of brilliant engineers who have to do the work right and they have to come together and we have a piece of kind of technology technological marvel in our hand so i think that a lot of ordinary people now the thing is we're always leashed or caught in our own thinking in our own beliefs so unleashed be kind of removing yourself or removing all these chains or all, all the things that are keeping you holding you back from realizing your full potential so, and that's what we do that at, at Unleash Ventures and everything that I do in life is really about working with others, friends, people I run into, anybody who ran into me and had a conversation that they didn't expect. Like I would ask deep questions, like what is going on in your life and why you're not doing well with your girlfriend? <laughs> like somebody I met, I just met, like I would, I would not afraid to go into deep topics. My intention is to unleash that person from whatever is holding them back. I just see brilliance all around and I want people to be able to experience that. So that is where it comes from. And that's what only venture is all about is really helping ventures and uh, startups to uh, remove all kind of things that are holding them back from realizing their full potential and adding value to the, their customers, the market that they're targeting. Um, yeah. And, and uh, you asked me kind of, what is it that um, what was the second part of the question? Well, who, so
0: who do you serve? Like wh- who would uh, your ideal client be? I know uh, that's- a-
1: Well, we, we work with, with startups that are early stage. So we like to work with early stage. It's the most difficult stage in, a, in, a, in the life of a startup because there's no guarantee of success. Like there's less of a guarantee of success. Startups and businesses have a lot of chances to f- for things to go wrong. The early you are in the process, the more likely things are going to go wrong or you're you know, likely not to succeed. So we like to work with startups at that stage because it offers the biggest problems and the biggest challenges. And we like we get excited about that. So we work with entrepreneurs at that stage and we, we help them uh, figure out stuff. We jump in as co-founders to them. We help them figure out stuff. So these are the companies that we, we like to work with. And and help and that's the kind of value we we start adding and uh, building ourselves uh, the project and jumping on joint ventures. So it's a flexible entity that allows our team to be flexible in pursuing whatever thing, whatever anything that we think, hey, this is cool. Let's let's go after it.
0: That's awesome. All right, My now your, now your turn. <laughs>
1: All right, so you've been, I've always been fascinated about your, uh, your ability to, to write. And I think we spoke about that in the previous, uh, like when I, when I interviewed you, I think. Um, but right now, well, you're writing a new book. Uh, I think it's, a, it's it's a huge, it's like a massive epic of, of things. Um, uh, what are some of the things that you were expecting to go, Smooth compared to your experience. Like, oh, I, I got this. You know, you had that feeling like, I got this. This is like easy. These other things are going to be hard. That turned out to be extremely hard and kind of frustrated you and drove you out of your mind. Kind of like, I can't believe this is difficult. Uh, is there such a thing? Have you faced something like that? What are they?
0: Yeah. So, uh, just to, I guess, kind of recap what I'm doing, I'm writing yeah. a historical fiction book. Um, It is about the Second Punic War, and so that is when Carthage invaded Rome. Uh, Hannibal, uh, he's one of the most famous generals in history. He actually marched his troops over the Alps and into Italy, surprising Rome, and he won several very decisive victories, and he basically... Defeated a much superior Roman army. Um, Hannibal's army was made up of mercenaries and different tribes, and there it was really basically they're kind of patchworked together. Um, and it wasn't a wasn't a professional army like Rome had. They were one very con- con- cohesive unit, and they were very organized, but Hannibal through his ingenious and through his just leadership skills was able to defeat Rome, at least at the beginning. And then, uh, the, you know, they base Rome basically wore Hannibal down in his army and, and eventually they won the, the war. But, um, it's for me is a very, uh, interesting time period and not a lot of books, there's not a lot of, uh, fiction around that time period. I would say when you think of Rome, like Roman literature, or Roman uh, fiction, you think of Caesar around the time when the Roman Empire was founded. Uh, you think about Spartacus. Spartacus was the famous um, gladiator who basically sparked revolt. Um, and you think about the the Roman Empire. You know, what's that um, that movie with um, Russell Crowe? gladiator uh you think about those movies but you don't really think about Hannibal very often so I was really interested in in that and um so basically what I did was it actually turned out to be a lot longer than I anticipated I thought it would be I knew it was going to be a long book but it it turned out to be a lot longer than I initially uh, anticipated and I thought that You know, this was this is like the this is the seventh fiction book I have written. So I thought, you know, I have all the tropes down pretty well. I knew how to write characters. I knew how to write scenes. I knew how to follow a story structure, especially since it's based on historical facts. So I knew this like I knew the story going in. So I thought plot I would not have a trouble with because. Um, I just followed the historical facts, and what happened after this, after this, and this, and then it would be an easy, easy way to write it. But turned out, that was not the case. And so I, I actually had to stop several times, because I was just like, I just can't, I can't figure out what happens next. And I was like, and I thought that I was very strange, first off, because I've done this, you know, several times before. And I thought that, you know, I had had the plot down down packed, and secondly, because it's based on historical fact. so I knew like what what should come next. This should this battle should come next, and this event should come after that, and so forth, right? Uh, but it, that wasn't the case, and I, I've I've sort of like I've not rewritten history, but I've changed things around to make it more to make the story flow a little bit better um, and to make it more succinct. Uh, I'm still, I'm just, I would say like, I'm on like the final lap of the first draft. And so I'm pretty close to finishing um, a good, I would say pretty solid first draft and it's clocking in at over 600,000 words. So, I mean, that's, oh, yeah, that's longer than, Uh, War and Peace, that's longer than Lord of the Rings. It's longer than The Stand by Stephen King. And what I think I'm going to do is to break it up into three separate novels and and do it and release it that way. And that will make it a little bit more um, easily digestible, I would say. Um, But I think the challenge, like, just go back to your question. I think the challenge is, you know, I... I plot everything out before I write it, so I have a nice structure and I have a nice outline of how things should go. Uh, and but it's it's interesting as you write, things come up and you kind of follow where the character takes you. So it doesn't quite always follow the structure that you had anticipated, and and you have to like that's part of creativity, I believe, is is really going with the flow a little bit and seeing where, where the characters take you, where the storyline takes you. And things have definitely shifted and characters have sort of surprised me and done things that I didn't really think that they were capable of doing. And I know that kind of sounds surprising or kind of interesting because you're like, well, don't you make them happen, Joel? And, I'm like, and the answer is yes. But, you know, I think that's kind of, you know, that gets down to the very like heart of creativity is is that you can plan things out as much as possible, but really you need to let your creativity take over and go with the flow and not be so rigid in the storyline or in how things should turn out. And, you know, I think definitely the story is better for it. And it is, um, it's more interesting the way that it is now, Opposed to the way that I had initially planned it, so hopefully that answers your question.
1: Yeah, I have so many more questions. (laughs) Do
0: you want to ask them? What? Go ahead, ask.
1: Well, uh, how much would you would you want to be paid to put me at the center of the story?
0: (laughs) I would (laughs) not. That's a
1: question you never expected.
0: No, that's true.
1: And suddenly, Hussein Halak came and saved (laughs) (laughs) and became emperor and uh, got a lot of money hey i I, i'm not sure that that i can get that in life so why not get it in story at least
0: (laughs) so it's not about the thing with creativity it's not about the money it's not about being paid to do it I am not getting paid. Hopefully, you know, obviously I hope the book does well, and I can make some money off and I, you know, and I hope that it will be turned into a miniseries. That's my, my goals, but it's really about the, just the fun and being in the playground and, you know, having the freedom to do what you want. So I don't think there, you can't put a price tag on that. I'm sorry. he's saying so. Yeah. I, I had hopes, but hey okay your turn <laughs> all right um, what should I ask okay so with your with all your different ventures, I know that you you do a lot of content marketing I'm gonna bring it back to business a little bit mm. uh, you do a lot of uh, articles on medium and you're writing a book and so this obviously takes time and effort and resources. How do you think about content marketing and where does that, um, where is that placed in the overall structure of even your, your life or your business or your marketing plan?
1: Yeah, it's, for me, it's, it's a very, like it's a topic that I've thought about and, um, and it's, it's strange for me, that's how I would, I would put it. The reason is for, for me, writing is a form of expression and I love to write. So uh, I love to write and express, like I get an idea and I wanna, I wanna get it out there. Um, and the challenge is if I, uh, like a lot of the stuff that, that move me has to do with a lot of political contentious stuff. So I like to write and I like to basically curse and swear at people. For the stupidity and the idiocy, idiocy that I that I see, um, uh, especially right now with the vaccines and the anti-science kind of rhetoric, and uh, yeah, it, it just drives me crazy. And I and I, uh, and I can't stand. Uh, uh, there are people who are genuinely, let's say, um, don't understand let's put it this way, or their level of intelligence, cannot they cannot comprehend certain elements, which I understand. And these are not the people I talk about. I'm talking about people who are, um, they have the level of intelligence and choose to to basically uh, act like idiots. These people drive me crazy. So that is mostly, my drive to writing is usually an emotional one. I, I feel about something, I, I, even in business, like this is not has to do just with political stuff, but poli- poli- political stuff has become like uh, intertwined as well sometimes with business. And uh, because I'm in the uh, in, let's say, in a first world country where I can express my opinions even more freely than anywhere else in the world, um, it's kind of uh, what I what I end up doing. So that is, that is what drives me toward writing is I see an idea, I see something and I become passionate. For example, one of my writings is about um, uh, one of the entrepreneurs that I mentored took her own life. Mm-hmm. When I heard the news, I, I had to write. So I wrote and uh, that article kind of talk about the the, the uh, challenges that entrepreneurs face. And I, and I literally told people to fuck off. Uh, who who actually want to want to come in and tell entrepreneurs like they act as supporters for entrepreneurs, but they they're not. From family members to whatever. Like I was very I was writing, and I'm, I'm usually emotional when I'm writing. Like I, there's a lot that I pour there. Um, there are stuff where I write because I want to inform and educate. So there's a purpose for my writing. It's never uh, whenever I try to write because I need to write. For example, well my business need. You know, I need to have an article every week. That never worked out. Like <laughs> it never worked out for me. So I think I'm a big believer of um, being driven by passion because it shows. It's kind of like talking because you have to talk. Like, for example, saying I have to have, you know, an episode. Of, that's why I don't do as much YouTube videos, for example. Like I've been asked by uh, my my team, other people to say, you know what, like, why don't you do YouTube videos? Why don't you, why do? Why are you just doing um, uh, just articles for, uh, sorry, just interviews with others? And my answer is like, if I have nothing to say, I don't want to just create a video for the sake of it. I tried it. It just seems so like so made up. Uh, I, I just can't, I have huge respect for people who, who can, let's say, produce content every day. But it's not like I like to have a conversation. So for me, the way I produce content is usually has to do with others. I tried being myself and talking to myself, but I love the question. I like the um, the. I think what I like is the unexpectedness and the joy of discovery and the joy of not knowing what's gonna like in this conversation. I have no idea what you're gonna ask, so I like that. And I like the uh, the 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 ability to create in the moment, the answer thinking and creating that is what that's what brings me joy. Like I I light up when I try, oh, how do you figure that out? But to have a specific script or a specific idea to talk about, I ended up I end up rambling and um, I don't like it. Like there is no joy. If there is no kind of interaction, there is no joy. For me, it's it has to be on stage teaching. One of the hardest thing is to create, um, is to create courses. Like I have a lot to say, (laughs) as you can tell. Uh, I talk a lot. I have a lot to say and I have a lot to educate people. And I do believe that I add enormous amount of value, but unless there's a question and unless there's a purpose, there's nothing driving me. So uh, when I'm doing a course, there is kind of the questions, like there's somebody who's needing to advance and I'm doing that. But when there's a video, what am I doing? Like, you know, what am I talking about? So I think there has to be a question. I think uh, for me, it's about the conversation. So that is what my approach is with content marketing is, is there, if there is an open question, if there's an, um, let's say somebody has a challenge that I can help them with, that's my entrepreneurial thinking going into content marketing. And i know that limits me um, because i can definitely produce 10 times more content the other challenge is time Uh, and i know we're we're like you're you're asking me how i do that um time is definitely an aspect because um certain pieces of content like sometimes i sit down and the piece of content just is there like it in half an hour an hour like bang like i can't believe i wrote that sometimes a piece of content may take two months to be written sometimes more there's an article i was writing since uh since i think six months now about trump and uh america and stuff like that and it's not finishing like i i stopped i was stuck it's not finishing just like a book uh so um because i know what i want to say but it's not coming out i I don't know how to explain it otherwise so i think with content marketing i think what people need to ask themselves for if you are like if my philosophy and the way i think of things apply to you and you resonate with it, is first ask yourself, what is it that you want to say, not the the content itself, but after someone reading that content, what are they getting? So looking at content like a product, and that product needs to create and deliver value in some way, and what is the value you get out of it? Like for me, when writing an article, it's a, a sometimes an act of catharsis, and where you actually kind of. Letting go of something or saying something and putting it out there. There's a reason why. Um, And uh, for some, if, if you're looking for how many clicks, I mean, I care about that. I care how many people saw it. But the reason I look at engagement is, is kind of a feedback loop to tell me, have I communicated something in value? But if you're looking at it as like, okay, that would mean business, I think that's the wrong reason to do uh, content marketing. Content is just another product that you put out there to help people and to show them how, to give them a taste of the help they would get if they use their product. That's how I think about it. And if that's not the case, um, I would recommend that you shut up. <laughs> don't don't put that. I mean, we have a ton of content that is worthless. I've had to sift through that to find, you know, a, 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 an article about a topic that adds value, and an article about a topic that adds value is amazing. Like that's you you kind of hold reverence. So for me, the act of writing is somehow um, uh, just like the act of conversation. Uh, you have to add value. You have it has to be about the other person. Even though it's writing and it's one way, you have to have sound that you've listened. So that's why if it's coming from a question or you're solving a problem or you're addressing something that people would want addressed, that's where it becomes well. And that's why I'm sporadic in my writing. I don't care. Like, I don't have to. And I think the best thing that I've ever done, and if you're you're someone like me, the best thing that you can ever do is have conversations with people and record those. And turn those into pieces of content so when i launched my podcast i didn't think about it but within like a couple of months it recorded uh, around 40 episodes which is a lot so that i have now content for the next three months of like just releasing those uh, and I'm, I I can have conversations all day. <laughs> so I would say, do something that comes naturally and easy for you. Don't confine, don't confine yourself to the forms of content. Uh, TikTok didn't work for me. Like I tried a couple of videos, uh, even one of them without audios. Like I, I didn't even care about removing that. Like honestly, it's, for someone, I think that's a big no-no for someone who's a marketer who cares about their personal brand. But it's like, you know what? I couldn't give a shit. Honestly, like I'm not a TikToker. I don't I don't like TikTok. Uh like the, the whole culture of it, all of that. Good. If you if that's the place for you, great. If it works for you. But even if some of my audiences are there, no. I want to I want a place where I can communicate in a form that works for me. And for me, the one that works is long form, uh YouTube kind of a podcast. I wanted people to see us, I want the people to do like that's that's what worked for me so far. Uh, And it's also, uh, one last thing I want to say, it's also the, to find that, it's an art of discovery. So try different things and then find where you find yourself best. Um, And don't overdo it. Just start like, uh, at the end of the day, you're talking to people. So how would you do it naturally without the platform, without the form? How do you do it in everyday life? And try to find a way to transform that to something Uh, that fits in online
0: I think think those are great great points awesome cool Mm -hmm.
1: so uh, back right back at you Um, you you're someone who help a lot of people with their uh, with their content Uh, I know you uh, you ghostwrite um, you ghostwrite for me as well Um, what is it uh, and there's a, a reason I think for for sometimes using ghostwriting for me it's time and also the play like I, I love working with you on the book because not because I don't know how to write. I think, I'm a, I'm a, I think actually I'm a, I'm a very good writer, actually. I think I'm an excellent writer, honestly, uh, not to be too full of myself, but I think one of the biggest challenges for me is not having a conversation when I'm writing. What I'm writing is just me and the paper and that stops me. So especially on projects that require a lot of work, like a book, I enjoy that. What is it for you that you've seen Uh, Why, why should people like, why some people that you've worked with that uh, produce great results should come to a ghostwriter and work with somebody like you? What's the added value? And I'm not talking just about the business, I'm talking about like, the whole process and what they, what they can gain from it, aside from a piece of content they can publish
0: hmm that's a great question I think first off yeah I do think you're a great writer and a lot of my clients are actually they are great writers it's not that they can't write I think it I think you really uh, hit the nail on the head that it's it's having that conversation and having somebody to bounce ideas off of and then um, you know I'm obviously not an expert in all fields but what I am really good at is Uh, critical thinking and to really come at it from a critical eye and see things you know let's take um let's take the you know blockchain for example I'm not an expert in blockchain you are and so having like I guess maybe that filter or somebody who can think about blockchain in a different way from somebody who has had your experience with blockchain is very valuable because it allows you to better communicate with your audience who are not experts. They haven't spent the time uh, that you have in learning the ins and outs of blockchain. And so I think having, I kind of look at myself as, as a filter or amplifier and I do both. And so I think it's, it's a combination of those two key skills that um, allow somebody who is an entrepreneur who has a message that they want to tell to an audience, to the tribe, whatever you want to call it, um, it really allows them to clarify that message and to make it better. Um, so I think though that's the real skill. and And also sometimes... It, they, they know exactly what they want to say, but they don't know how to say it. And, and they haven't quite figured out what the best way of saying it is or how to to like kind of hit the key points that they need to. I think, you know, apart from that, there's obviously um, like saving the time. You, you referenced that earlier. Um, for somebody who's busy, helping their clients um, who has, you know, they're running their business, they're doing a ton of other things. Um, so they don't necessarily have the time to sit down and write, even though like, like yourself, they're great writers. It's not that they can't do it. It's just, it's a time factor for them. And and so I'm able to help them that way as well. So just to kind of recap, I think it's the, the ability to clarify the message and, and put it out there in an easy digestible way to understand for people who are not experts or haven't been following a topic as closely as the actual author. Um, so I think that's really the benefit of a real, like, and this is, and we're not talking about ghostwriters you find on Fiverr or Upwork or whatever, you know, those, those people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they don't, I mean, they will say, they might save you time. They might save you money. I, you know, if you oh, find. No, they don't.
1: They don't. <laughs> because it challenges the, the, um, and I know the word quality gets thrown around, but it's, it's not really that. Like the quality of writing is the eyes of the beholder, but there's a certain richness, I think, mm. depth in, in writing an article that drives, for me, it drives every word that I write. So. They're not the same, for sure. Yeah,
0: no, for sure, and I, I would agree with that. Um, so find a, uh, I'm mean, gonna I'll say the quality again. Find I think it it's important to find a native English speaker. Uh, probably somebody in North Ouch. America, or I I you count as a native? I okay. you're an ordinary. Native uh, no. American, uh, yeah. native English speaker. <laughs> I was gonna say American. thinks that
1: I studied somewhere in the states or, or like in an American school somehow.
0: Yeah, I can, I could totally see that. I can see why they it's, would say it's that. A lot of sitcoms, sure. <laughs> and that's what, that's how a lot of people learn English is through it's sitcoms.
1: sitcoms and music. It's yeah. because songs, because you think of it, poetry and and jokes give you the spirit of the language, right? Mm. More so than reading somewhere because when you read long form is there's is something else like you can read and you have time to think but a poetry you have to understand the the kind of image behind that and the so there's so much in that. so there's uh, the, the description where like somebody's describing when you're reading a book they're describing something so they're taking you to a place but in but in poetry or in music in that case um, you're you have to understand what they mean by like say uh, my back's against the wall for example like, that's not mm. that a description Like, what does it mean your back's against the wall, you know, and especially that comes from a lot of history and culture in that, in that language. So I was like, my back's against, I don't have that. For example, in Arabic, it might be, oh, you cornered me. You know, like it's a different uh, description and something like that creates. Uh, like oh so now and and the thing is when you when you hear it the first time you like you don't know what it is and it's not like there was there was internet at the time, but when you hear it used in different context it's like I had to learn English how young, how babies learn English mm-hmm. because I uh, I've actually refused to use uh, throughout my life I refused to use um, I don't know if I ever told you that and maybe that's kind of your question but anyway I'll I'll just. Digress and and talk about that so what happened is I I learned English uh, way before my peers because I was in a private school and we learned English so I learned English from uh, Oxford English but that was it that was the structure that was structured English was never spoken around me all of that however I loved movies I loved movies loved cartoons and um, and watch watching those uh at a time before we we had just one channel uh in in Syria watching those and going to the movie. my mom used to take me to the movies I I hated translation because I would look at translation and translation obviously a lot of it is censored for example like fuck you is like it was like god damn you that's how they they kind of like oh I'll get you (laughs) that's that's not what they're saying so anyway so like I don't pay attention I actually go out of my way to get movies that are not translated so I like mm-hmm. to watch movies without translation because I think they take away from the spirit of the movie. But a lot of these, what end up happening, a lot of the things I don't understand, but you, when you hear them again and again and again, for example, the word contemplate, I remember hearing that word a lot of times and I never really understood what it means. But then at a certain point it clicked for me. It's like, oh, contemplate. Uh, So I never had to look what that means in Arabic. And that's why a lot of times uh, when I actually, one of the companies that I opened is a company that does translation. My translation was different and my translation, I, I helped in business. I would not translate literally. I would translate the meaning and I was very different. And we were very successful when I did that. It's because of that, because I don't care about what the real, what the actual translation is. And I'm actually discovering that, even though I can, I understand what you mean, but I can't translate it. So that is how I did. And what I used, I read the book, um, uh, what is it? The Conversations with God, for example, Hmm. a difference. Other people will read it and they will look for every word and what it means, because it had some God explaining for him. It had some very, very uh, complex, I would say, uh, like things that they mean, like there was a lot of play on meanings of words. And what I did is even though there are sentences and words I didn't understand, I just plowed through it. And what ends up happening, it will click for you at a certain point. So that is my journey with, with language. And that's why I think there are a lot of times what I can, ex- I, I really, there are areas where I can't express myself in Arabic. Hmm. That I can express myself in English, especially with business. Because in Arabic, I never read Arabic in business, Arabic business books. All, so I can write poetry in Arabic, and I do. I love poetry in Arabic. I love I love the Arabic language. Uh, poetry is amazing because we are. That's how our history. We are a nation of poets. That's how we started. Um, so like, Arabic language was not even written. It was transferred through poetry and through like long poems that people kind of pride themselves on how they memorized it. So uh, that is that is that is how that is how like. It, progressed but there was no literature in english while i was learning uh, sorry in business when i was learning uh business so most of my readings in business are in arabic uh, in english so what ends up happening is when i want to express myself in in business it's easier for me to express myself in english i don't even think like right now i'm not thinking what i want to say that's i think another thing is i don't think in arabic what i want to say translate it to english and then i do it i'm Mm. completely like thinking and, and, and talking in English. Even at home, we speak in English more than Arabic. So I think that's that's kind of how I got here. Because uh, a lot of people ask me like, how come you seem like you grew up in, in Canada or grew up in, in America or something yeah. like that? Sitcoms. I think that, uh, yeah. The, um, I love sitcoms by the way. They're, they're incredible, like they're.
0: <laughs> the nuances of a language are very interesting. The uh, example you gave with uh, being cornered or being up against the wall right yeah. so if if uh, I said Hussein you you put my back up against the wall yeah that would be almost a positive because that means that I am I have only to go forward right mm. but if you if I said Hussein you cornered me that's a very aggressive saying right and so it's interesting that they're they, they're very similar, but they are also very different. And yeah. the, the tone and the way that you say them is also different. So um, yeah, no, I think that's that's very interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, and that's why I love these kind of conversations because it, um, for example, in this moment, I'm discovering how I see these things. Because mm. I, I never had this conversation. The que- I don't ask myself that question, right? And that's why i like if somebody would to ask me uh, tell me let's say let's do a video about how you can become let's say fluent in the english language for example uh, if there's no question i was like oh you know do this do that read books you know like but i would not tell these stories but having conversation with someone there's something about it that i that i absolutely love and that's why i think um <laughs> i hated COVID a lot obviously Aside from being a disease that kills people, <laughs> it's a disease that, that stopped me from being able to have coffees with people where mm-hmm. I enjoy the most, but that produced the podcast. So.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to talk about why do people decide to start a company and you referenced um, the person that you mentored who unfortunately took their own life and startups and starting a business is very hard. And mm-hmm. there's, you know, I think it's what one in 10 businesses actually succeed after the first year or something, or, you know, there's the odds seem insurmountable, insurmountable sometimes, you know, and it's, yeah. there seem very challenging there's, but yet there's this drive to do it. And you help people create their companies and to help them succeed. So what do you you think it is about human nature that makes people want to create a company?
1: I think it's the natural inclination to create stuff and to do stuff in real life. Like it has, I think we, there are two, two or a couple of things there. Number one, we make it more harder than it is. It's just a natural kind of thing. If you look at everything you do in life, like how many things you've attempted, a lot of things not only include failure uh, as, as, and, and mistakes as part of them, but a lot of things you kind of leave and they fail and you kind of, you know, it, it blows over. It's, it's just, you take them as natural because that's how you learn. Uh, that's a lot of the stuff you learned in life. Like, what do you use? You Use like 1% of what you learned, like a 10%, 10% maybe. Uh, we, the nature of it is that we do a ton of stuff In life, because that's how we do, that's we're exploring, and business is just like that. The only thing in business is that the I think the only reason why, or one of the key reasons why, uh, in business, we we don't we we look at it this way is number one, it's happening in our adult life. In adult life, you you care about how you how you're seen, and when you care about how you're seen, you don't want to you don't want to do you don't want to look like you're a failure whatever that means whereas when you're a kid you do a ton of stuff and you don't care you break th- you break shit you like you just be a kid right and you're you're sometimes celebrated by people sometimes punished but you know most of the time celebrated is like oh you're just kid being a kid and i think i that's how i approach doing business i approach doing business as it's just me being somebody who loves building products that's that's how what i love doing and that's what i'll always do and um that's there's no other way i can be and i think one of the things that that we created is that no you have another life where you can be an employee where um that's not true you've always for tens of thousands of years what we've done is we wake up we go see what life has to offer maybe get some food and go back to to our home and eat it with our family and our community. That's what we've always, always done. It's within our nature. And that doesn't mean there's a dichotomy between being employed and, uh, and building a business. I think the way that employment happens has a lot of errors in it. And there are companies that are trying to, to fix it where create an environment for people to remain creative. So you can have an entrepreneurial mindset which every, I think everyone has it. It's kind of like Picasso saying, everybody is an artist. We just kind of educate them out of being an artist. Everybody loves to create. Everybody loves to doodle. Everybody loves to create new ideas. Everybody has an idea. What we want is to create a channel for it. Unfortunately, right now, the only, the, one of the biggest challenges is to create a company. Not everyone is meant to do that. I don't mean by nature. I mean, like anything that is hard, you need training for it you need the persistence for it, and you need the environment for it. And not everyone has that, not everyone has the training, not everyone has the persistence, and not everyone has the environment around them. And that's what I mean, you need all of those elements in order to help, you need education, you need the persistence and the understanding that this thing will take time. And uh, and then uh, you need, uh, you need the, um, the environment. Think of learning anything, playing the guitar, you know? Um, you wanna play the guitar? You need the education. You can't just hold the guitar and play like you can, but that will take you longer because the positioning of your fingers, uh, the kind of knowing where to start will definitely accelerate your journey. So training, and then you need to have the persistence. You need to know that somebody would tell you, hey, playing the guitar, it will take you like a few years before you can play a song comfortably or stuff like that, depending on what you're playing. Let's say classical guitar, it will take time. It's just because it's established. But nobody tells you that when you're doing a company. It's like, yeah, this company made it. And that's what you hear. This company reached a billion dollars in five months. It's like, I can do that. And that desire and that kind of belief that you can do that is great. It's great to get you started. But then somebody has to educate Is like, listen, that's one out of millions of companies that are out there. (laughs) And not every company is meant to do that because the market has to be there. Then the environment around you. And when you're playing guitar, you need environment. Like you can't train if there's no space to train. You need, let's say, people encouraging somebody listening to you, feedback, stuff like that. That is hard when you're doing business, especially the more rural you are the more you're not connected to a startup community. These are the challenges that exist in startups because we don't talk about them like we talk about, let's say, learning the guitar or stuff like that. We think there's something magical about that. We've convinced ourselves that entrepreneurs are something unique, something rare. No, it's not. I've met thousands. I had the privilege of meeting thousands of entrepreneurs. If there's anything in common between them is there's nothing in common. (laughs) They're just like every other person you meet Everybody can offer something. And I've seen all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds, building companies and failing and equally failing and equally succeeding without no reason or rhyme. Uh, these are just like, you know, you can give the guitar to everyone. Some of them will make great music. Some of them will make, you know, average music. Some of them will fail. It's just, just a, for similar kind of reasons. Um, and so removing the fact of these are uh, outliers that don't belong, again, like the exception doesn't disprove the rule, right? We're all human capable of doing that. So I think that's the way. So I would say there are reasons why not to start a startup. Don't do a startup if your reason is like, hey, this is a great way to make money. No. Everybody who didn't did a startup will tell you, you can't make money doing a startup. It'll take you a long time to do that. There's faster ways to make money. Don't do it for the money. Don't do it for the status. Do not do it because you you uh, you choose to do it in the sense that you choose to go into and you choose to, the kind of value you want to create and add to the world doesn't exist. You want to create, deliver, and capture value in unique ways that are, do not exist in the world. I you not happy with the ways that exist in the world and you think you can offer something better. That's a great reason to start, get the education, uh, have the perseverance, uh, and cre- if either position yourself in an environment or create the environment to support yourself and support others. Launch Academy started by uh, Ray while trying to create the environment for himself and other entrepreneurs ended up creating Launch Academy and he helped thousands of entrepreneurs. So (coughs) that's what I would think how people should look at a startup. Mm -hmm. It's a topic I'm very passionate about and thanks for asking.
0: All right, your turn
1: uh final question i think because uh how, how much time do we have
0: um, it's up to you how much time do you have
1: <laughs> i have uh two minutes
0: <laughs> okay i'll answer uh, a question I postponed,
1: two minutes. I postponed one of the uh can we like if we want can we can pick it up or i can just cancel the meeting after what do you up first? to you mm, that's giving me for uh, me a challenge all right let's do this question and then um i would love to come back another for another episode how about that? okay sounds good all right so um what is it that let's say what is it that you want for this is like granular going if you were to shape the world if you were to write something and that writing becomes reality mm-hmm. what would be the story of the world that you would tell in the future
0: it would be around the importance of journalism and communication so I believe that I don't know how this exactly would look like but something I would like to convince the world that journalism is worth worth spending money on it's worth because right now we look at journalism as something free that we find on Facebook, on um, social media, on apps. And it actually, it takes a lot of money to create this content where uh, somebody has to be paid to go interview people, craft it, put together, it needs to be edited, and then put in, out into the world, right? And it used to be that you'd have to have a subscription to a newspaper, you used to pay money to, um, you know, for the TV channel, whatever, however it was sent to you, right? And now we just expect it for free. And that has created a, a huge deficit in the journalism world where, and I think this, you know, you're you were talking earlier about political issues and how, you know, you're very passionate about it. And the world we live in is very, you know, divided. And I, you know, it's not only to do how journalism is communicated to us, but I think a large part of that is that the, we don't have that really high quality journalism that we used to have. We have people like people trying to do quick and dirty news stories that are not fact-checked properly, that are not in depth. And they are then sent out into the world as reality and and it's not and then people start to believe them and then they they take sides and then they start fighting with other people on other sides and it's just it doesn't create a very good environment so how i would like to create the world is where we have a strong like a very strong journalism center and that you know and it doesn't you know. It's, it's a very hard thing to create first off because there's never like an ultimate truth or there's never a one side to story and people will always take what they want and leave other things. And so, but if we could have as unbiased journalism as possible, then I think that would create a way better world where we are listening to the other side, we are learning from them. And we may not always believe what they say, or we ne- may never, you know, take what they say to be truth, but we can we can understand them. And I think that is what is missing in journalism today, is that we're just piping out this rhetoric of, you know, this side did this, this side did that, and, and that does not bring us together. And I think with the challenges we're facing with climate change, with COVID, with a whole myriad of different things that are happening in in the world today, we cannot afford to be be this divided. We need to come together to solve them. Um, We can't just, you know, Elon Musk and uh, Jeff Bezos, I think they're doing some really amazing work, uh, especially Elon, Elon Musk in terms of, um, fighting climate change with Tesla, but we cannot rely on these people to, you know, solve our problems for us. We need to come together as a community, and we're just not doing that. And I think the way we do that is through quality journalism, and I don't think a lot of people realize that and how much journalism plays a huge part in the in our world today, right? And I think um, Facebook has kind of you know we've had this conversation, but it's taken. it's kind of filled that vacuum. Um, it's kind of taken over that role of journalism. And I think that's extremely, extremely dangerous because journal because a Facebook doesn't care about journalism. It doesn't really like my personal opinion. It doesn't really care about the truth. Um, they're not a very ethical company and we need all that in a journalism company. And it's not Facebook. And, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I know that we are desperately in need of that. So, I think you know if I could change the world and and have a singular story, it would be that we need a company that produces ethical, uh, unbiased journalism that we can consume.
1: Oh boy, you opened the can of worms. Okay, so I canceled my uh, my my. <laughs> my meeting so I can I can continue that. Um I have I have um I have a I have a take on this that uh go ahead. I think number one when it comes to journalism I think the challenge with uh I think the story is missing something so let's say let's take journalism and divide it into um and speaking from someone who's speaking from outside obviously and speaking from someone who was in a co- in a country where all the major papers were controlled by the government uh, an authoritarian government so um i think journalism you have the journalists who are uh kind of that's where the journal- journalism is decentralized you have journalists to people who can write okay um and then there is the medium itself so whether it's video written and then there is the journalistic bodies uh, let's say in this case new york times washington post let's say journals basically as part of the channels um, I think what used to happen is you had uh, a lot of, ju- uh, let's say, journalistic bodies, but they were, they were highly decentralized. So there is, let's say, uh, there's the local newspaper, there's, and, and the competition for, for breaking a story. Uh, obviously, let's say if somebody suppressed, because listen, powers, let's say the people who are powerful in the world, uh, would you call them elite, powerful, corporations, governments, People who have power uh, do not want, let's say, to, to, to have that power be diminished. And having a bad story written about you is some form of diminishing that power. So they will seek to, to, to uh, kind of suppress that. There's no conspiracy. It's just natural how people always done throughout our lives. Like that's what people do. People with power will always want to maintain power. Anything as a threat to that, they will strive to suppress it. That's how it is. Um that before the you know the first amendment and the freedom of speech like people will always done that it's not because we have freedom of speech or we don't it's like people try to make it like that a historical kind of story people with power will always suppress people uh, other other stories about them to maintain that power and uh, keep people who are under them under them so I think that always happened, but journalists had different, like, if you're suppressed here, they will go somewhere else, and of course journalists kind of put their life on the line, uh, journalists who are doing that, not every journalist, there are journalists who, you know, write kind of, I don't know, stories about the community, whatever, like, fine, that's what you want to do, it's like there are different levels, and there's nothing wrong with that, but that's, that's what it is, not journalists in general. It's important to have that kind of, we're talking about reporting journalism or investigative journalism that kind of really uncover the things that otherwise would not be possible. I think they're essential to our world. Do I really want to know about what Kim Kardashian meant? No, I think that's stupid kind of, it's not journalism. That's not when we talk about journalism. That's kind of saying the news, like you have ability to write and you kind of write about the news, like your news kind of thing. Not really interesting for me. Uh, So I think, that is still there because people are still there people have different interests like like in everything people still have we have still great journalists so i think journalism is not at risk what at risk right now is how the power structures are are it's like so for example i would say the the medium within which you you communicate are now just like before so so for example what happened with journalistic entities they started eating up those small journalism or they these guys would go on a business because of the business model was threatened and they don't evolve enough and there's no support from the community so we started getting more and more concentration just like what happened with tv channels and stuff like that and that is where it starts because now people with power do not have to control a lot of people. Just like it's the opposite of blockchain. Blockchain comes about and distributes the power that exists in, let's say, several computers, which you can control. But now tens of thousands of computers is very, very hard to control and hack. Similar way. Think of it as hacking. People with money, they will use that money to hack the, uh, the journalistic and come down on them because also there are people with power there and say, listen, if you threaten my power here, here's how I'll threaten your power. So they end up suppressing the stories and they never come out. All right, or they if they come out in a different way, they lose their their leverage. A story coming out that the New York Times have obviously, whether people like it or not, it just have more resonance. It has to have more authenticity, uh, perceived of course. So um, and then there are the mediums. The mediums right now just became like that, but they're a different name. Like YouTube, YouTube suppresses. Facebook is another medium, also controlled by people of power. So I think. Journalism itself from from journalists themselves haven't changed in the sense that people would want to investigate and write. I think the medium has changed significantly, uh, whereas multiple channels of medium, but still the same level of control of people who do not want you to do that. That's in addition to having the algorithms control that. So it it gives more resonance to things that are more sensational, which drives people to sensationalize, because what happens is part of those journalists, there are still people who are in any field. There are people who are uh, kind of uh, true to the to the essence and the spirit of the of the profession that they're in. But there are people who are no shitheads, you know, like they don't give a shit, even though they have the skill set. But, you know, like, oh, I can sensationalize this and I can earn more money. Great, let's do mm. it. And what ends up happening is all of these things ends up taken away from the field and you get people saying, oh, journalists, there's no point or Journalist, uh, journalism has lost its credibility, which is bullshit. You know? There are some people who lost credibility. Some just like in everything, it's kind of like saying all politicians are bad or all lawyers mm. are, are assholes. Like, it's just the same bullshit generalization. There are people that are good and bad in every profession. It's what the what the environment is amplifying. And right now we live in a in a in a world where whatever we're amplifying are the worst of us. The world is structured to amplify the worst of us. Like Elon Musk is a shithead. Okay. He's might be very smart, but it's a big fucking shithead. Mm-hmm. The same thing with Jeff Bezos. Somebody sitting on hundreds of billions of dollars, okay, should not exist, honestly. Like it's just insane he doesn't need it he can't use it and he has enormous amount of power over m- hundreds of millions of people that should not exist mm. and aside from that he's a shithead like everything he does is actually bad like suppressing his workers having his workers you know piss in bottles like that should not be that person should not be revered for anything okay that person should be kind of uh, diminished and demeaned what is it demeaned is that is that a word like you know like you, you should look at him with disgust mm-hmm. aside from any, because of the way that he's creating. And that's even like, if you look at someone who forces someone else to live in horrible conditions and forces them to live, like have the conditions that these workers have, if they have one worker, you would look at disgust upon them. How about somebody who is capable, but unwilling to kind of alleviate that and it will not hurt him by the slightest like it would not even like it would even like scratch is that like that's even more disgusting so I think somebody like him is completely disgusting I think the same thing of Elon Musk he's completely like as a person he's absolutely disgusting for me I would never even want to put them on a pedestal at all like they don't even shine a light listen Steve Jobs was all kind of horrible things let's say people say he's horrible boss whatever but he had a philosophy. He had something to add, and he never, ever used his uh, his money to kind of suppress people. He, when he fired people, he fired them because they did not align with his vision of the company, not because he wanted more money. So that, to me, why he's like he's not even at a level of those. Yes, he was a billionaire, but he's never used his power that way. These mm-hmm. guys are using all their power to make society worse. And, and in, in especially Elon Musk, when he did with what he did in Bolivia, like he supported the coup in Bolivia. I mm. don't know how anybody in their right mind can think of anything other than this disgusting person. So these are these are my thinking. And I think those people have have enormous amount of power and definitely ruining journalism because they are using you can bet they're using that power to suppress all kind of stories about them to go after the people who who, let's say, in their words, smear them so we don't hear about their stories so these are some of the some of the challenges as well that uh, people with power have more power and they're suppressing and hurting journalism that's my my take that's my rant
0: you mentioned blockchain do you think that can help journalism and you know i think you know i mentioned that one of the problems with journalism is is very biased so with using blockchain technology can we get closer to the truth is that something that's even possible
1: I think there has never been uh I think a time where we had some like Objective truth is objective truth. You can verify it with facts, whatever. But even that has been challenged and it's been challenged all over the world, but now more aggressively on a wider scale. But we know throughout life, like nothing is like, you know, people has been able to lie. The people at the time, it was if you had a printing press and you can print more, you could be, you could, you're able to lie and, and you spread your lies, uh, hence the church or any religion, if you wish. <laughs> uh, give any religion. I don't know if we want to get into that waters, but you know, like you can, you can publish whatever you want to publish, and if you have the power. So, um, I think what maybe there's a chance with blockchain uh, to come back to a world where things don't don't spread. So, what blockchain does as a technology is decentralize things, takes the center and decentralize. So, think of Facebook becoming ten thousand Facebooks. Okay. And what that does, it eliminates the power of the certain group of people like Mark Zuckerberg and the people there in the name of profit. And I want to name them like notice I said, for example, Elon Musk or whatever. I named them disgusting people. I didn't name them evil. Okay, Uh, because it's not about them being evil. It's about the ability to do harm. So with centralization, you have higher ability to, to do harm. Centralization of finance, centralization of, of, of computing power. And that's what those people are able to do because of the centralization of their power. They have they can do that. There are certain people, their board of directors or the, the senior executives who are making decisions that impact billions of people. And that is the challenge. With decentralization, you don't have that. You don't have... Uh, billion, like it's a group of people that are, can impact billions of people. You have, it's decentralized to tens of thousands of people, if not hundreds of thousands of people. Now, have a vote, have a say. And usually, when you have groups of people like we saw, like for example, yeah, we saw the rise of, uh, of, of let's say, shitheads in, in, these, in the States and people who are, and, but a lot of those people are sometimes misinformed and, 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 and tricked into doing stuff. So if you want to really talk about like people who are pure shitheads, okay, they're few. Societies are generally more progressive. Why? Because progress helps most of them. So all they can do is kind of uh, like trick them and centralization enables them to do that. Decentralization Mm. gives people the ability to lead again to democratize kind of the decision making and with that the hope if we if we democratize decision making and people still choose worse stuff then we deserve what's coming our way <laughs> let's face it you know but if we democratize the way and and i think there's a lot of in the past few years there's a lot of blame on people like how can people be and i've been like guilty with that but thinking about it and and adopting more the blockchain way of thinking is that If we think about it, people generally are more progressive. If you look at every kind of decision in in the US, let's take US because US uh, Americans are usually kind of ostracized and like, you know, talked about as being like, oh, these stupid people. But if you look, actually, that's not true. If you look at all the decisions like Medicare for all, like uh, education, uh, canceling the debt, uh, you know, wars, the general consensus, like always oh, 70%, 80% are all ag- against, let's say, wars for helping people. for like They are for that, but the politicians are disconnected from what their constituents are, are, are asking for. So it's not the American people, it's those in power. So by decentralizing the, the power, by decentralizing the ability to make decisions, you give way to those groups of people to control their destiny. So you can do that with finance, which is very powerful. You can do that as well with, let's say, decentralizing Facebook, decentralized. Now whether we're we going to get there, because you have enormous amount of powerful people, or p- a few powerful people with enormous amount of resources fighting against that, Co-opting, let's say blockchain. And blockchain is a very powerful technology to co-opt. When you co-opt it, you have even more control. Mm-hmm. So Facebook, which is trying right now with Libra is trying to kind of co-op, let's say, decentralization. Everybody's trying to do that. Um, what ends up happening is you have even more control because you, you, you have, you have uh, for example, if you have, if you have a de- decentralized, uh, a, a central currency that works on blockchain, you can literally shut down. Let's say you have $100,000 today. Tomorrow, the government doesn't like you or somebody doesn't like you who is well-connected. They can shut down your money. You can't use your money anymore. You don't have it. That is not possible today as fast as, let's say, there are, let's say, certain gateways, uh, still, let's say, not in, a, in an ideal society, but there is that. So there are these things. Who knows what's going to happen? So can blockchain help? Absolutely. Uh, the right blockchain. Again, blockchain is just like any other technologies. How it's used, there are different kind of implementations of blockchain. So can it help in, the pu- in a, in a uh, hopeful correct implementation yes blockchain can be a huge force to democratize decision making democratize access to different things democratize power uh, and democratize kind of uh, wealth and and equality between people which i think is is very very helpful um imagine people you know uh voting right now if you look at if you look at let's say uh this uh, the thing that's happening with uh, black lives matter for example or stuff like that like imagine people having a say in those uh, policemen that actually commit that are supposed to protect the community and don't or having a say in the in the trials and, and and people let's say what they did have access to the to the facts and can actually vote on something if somebody is with you know willing to work or or stuff like that should work but what's happening right now, people are fired from one police department and then they go work in another police department and do the same thing. So stuff like that becomes even harder when you have access to, to facts, access to democratized access and democratized ability to participate in governing self-governance is very powerful. Awesome. Too much information? No. My question now? Your question. Why the heck are you always in a kitchen? <laughs> is it because of the sound sound uh, uh, kind of quality?
0: It's just my studio.
1: Your studio is a kitchen. Do you cook?
0: I, uh, I do not very well, but I do.
1: Not very well? Okay. Is that I'm your question? I cook so. <laughs> what, are, what are the things of life that you enjoy doing that are not, you know, the work or whatever? Like stuff that you enjoy doing when you're not working and when you're not like... Busy, busy, being the, the professional you.
0: Problem is, is it's all intertwined. I love stories. Mm. Stories are so much a part of my life and I think they're super important. So, I mean, storytelling is always, whether it's work-related or personal, I just like good stories. So, I mean, I love reading. I love movies. I love Netflix Um, you know, I mean, I think, you know, I'm watching Star Trek right now. And that's, I mean, it's not great storytelling, but it's good enough. And it.
1: Which one? Which one are you watching?
0: uh, I'm watching Voyager. Oh, okay. I've gone through... The reason I was watching Star Trek was because I wanted to watch the Picard, which came out. And so I went through all of Next Generation and then watched Picard and I just kind of continued. But yeah, I think... Storytelling is so important and it's such a necessary part of life. And if you can weave a good story, then you can actually do so much. I think it's, you can succeed in so many different uh, avenues of life. You can get jobs, you can you know, persuade, convince, um, you can sell stuff, you can market with good stories. Um, yeah, I, I think the fact that we remember stories is so, like is super important. So um, I'm always up for a good story. I'm not always up for you know learning through storytelling. It's it's a way that I learn. You know, I don't I'm not very good with with learning facts, figures, dates, that sort of thing. But you tell me a good story, and I remember it. And uh, so I think that is, is key. And so yeah, even though I'm not working, I'm always, um, yeah, I'm always up for a good story. I don't know if that answers your question, but
1: yeah, yeah. So did you see the, the latest kind of what is it Star Tech Galactic? what is it in new one? There
0: um, is the discovery. One. This Dis- discovery, oh, discovery. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I haven't seen it yet.
1: That's good. Yeah, my challenge with visual storytelling is I can't stand looking at old stuff. Like mm. when it's when it's old, I can't go back. There's no, I, I, I don't have a sense of nostalgia. I think because mm-hmm. I'm, I, I like, I like new stuff, and I'm a techie. So at the time, they're like, oh my god, they're amazing. Yeah, no, but, for sure. But now it's I like, huh, this is this is really like I'm noticing. Like I can see there's the green screen here. You know, like, uh, you know. Yeah, no, uh, I do that coming. too, but.
0: Okay, uh, let's do one more question each and then we'll wrap it up. How's all right, that? Fine, fine. Okay. My question is, so you've done 40 podcasts, 40 plus podcasts, mm. interviewed 40 amazing entrepreneurs. What has your biggest takeaway from that experience been?
1: My biggest takeaway from it is that we, um, first of all, there's so much to people that um, every time I have a conversation, a, a lot of those people I knew and I've had conversations with. So there's a ton to um, to learn and to glean from every conversation, which was why it's great to have those conversations again and again and again. So I think that's uh, that's pretty cool. And I would want to do it again. Uh, every time actually so um yeah I, I thought that i that it's great to have a conversation with them it's great to have another conversation as well like it's always kind of oh wow i want to i want to have that conversation with them um so that is that is one of the biggest takeaway the other thing is um we are all somehow the same so i've spoken from the president of uh, um uh, the uh, Capilano University, for example, to an entrepreneur that is just starting to, you know, someone who's heading the community ahead of, you know, in a uh, innovate BC, for example. Um, so different people, uh, different backgrounds, uh, working on different things, but somehow there's a, all of them, all of us get challenges, regardless of where our level in life, there are, there's a challenge when you're there. Um it's kind of like if you think of my metaphor of always climbing Mount Everest like I always think of anything like climbing Mount Everest like the people who are at the bottom having challenges that has to do with where they are at the bottom the people in the middle are facing challenges that has to do with the middle and the people at the top are facing challenges when they're at the top there's never a time where you stop facing challenges even the people at the summit like if you know anything about Everest which I know quite a bit <laughs> because I keep reading about it. Uh, if you're at the at the summit, you can only stay for us for a while before you you die. Basically, you have to you have to go down. And also, it's equally some people die on the way down, not necessarily on the way up. Mm. So, in a similar fashion, uh, we we have our perceptions about what people are dealing. Like you, you come into the conversation, and that's I think one of also my learnings is. I have to come into those conversations without perceptions what but with complete and i usually do that with conversations which i think uh makes it more fun you you can have of course i have perceptions about people and where they are but i come into those conversations without those perceptions i come in thinking well what do I want to really learn? And I just follow what the conversation tells me. Like sometimes I even have some prepared questions, very few, but then I jump in and it's like, oh, tell me about that. That's exciting. And, then, and sometimes people like, I know my wife said, you say the same things every time in the sense like, oh, this is a really interesting, I said, because it is. <laughs> so um, so I think that's that's also interesting where you come in and you have your perceptions about people and then you completely discover that um, those perceptions are not accurate, like they are just like you in a sense, and they're facing just different kind of challenges, because they're they're living a different life. And it's so thrilling, exciting to do that. And the purpose of that of those meetings was to provide people with stories that they can relate to rather than me telling them. And that's, I think, one of the key things for me is that my team is always pushing me like say stuff, because I like to talk, like you know, Go on YouTube and do that. And my biggest challenge is I'd rather you hear it from somebody else. I don't want to become the person you go to. I don't want you to become, to think of me like, oh, Hussein is the guru to go to. Instead, let me be the facilitator to learn from others and their story. That's, I think, where, where I stand. Not to say that I don't want to be your guru. <laughs> of course, I want and I want more money. But this is this is better, feels better. Well, okay right. one question for you uh, final uh, question uh, silent. why is he not saying anything like why is he jump I'm, I'm forgetting the where we are okay last question for you um what has been the biggest um uh, let's say the biggest thing that you can take away from our relationship like from our interactions uh, throughout like to you regardless of, uh, this is not a you can you can obviously spend the next 15 minutes tell me how awesome i am but that's not what i'm saying is that from a relationship where we we met in a certain way we we had our interactions what was what was like for you like something that you got that you think oh you know what you would uh, you would want to get more even of or something like that mm. curious
0: that's a very good question i think I know we spoke about this uh, when you interviewed me on your podcast, but one of, I would say, uh, and I'm not like hyperbolizing this because it's actually true, but I think one of the defining moments in my life was I was working at Starbucks and just not getting where I wanted to be. I was writing, I was producing movies, but they weren't, as just as successful as I wanted them to be. I felt like I wasn't getting where I wanted to be fast enough and I was making ends meet at Starbucks, and, you know, not like financially not doing all that great, but not, do, uh, you know, I was okay too, but I met you because I wanted to expand my horizon. I wanted more and I wanted to be better. And I remember kind of just being at a very low point. And funny enough, I I remember this very distinctly. We were in the Starbucks in West Van. I basically told you all this and saying how I was not, yeah, I just was not happy. I was not succeeding in the things I wanted to succeed in. And I was not doing the things I wanted to do. And I was not enjoying life. And a lot of people would have just patted me on the back and say, there, there, you know, it'll get better and, and give me a whole bunch of like tropes of how, you know, how life should be. But I think the way, the thing that I appreciate the most about you is the way that you cut through the bullshit and you get to the heart of the matter. And I remember you said um, he said, okay, so if you want to improve things, you need to do exactly what I say. And I'm like, oh, sure. Like, as I was just at such a low point, I would have done anything for practically. Um, but I think it was the faith and trust that put in a friendship at that point. And I, I actually, honestly hadn't known you for that long, but I could see the authenticity of you and I could see the willingness to help and just the person that you are. This is the, the, the pat on the back part of Hussein. Um, but the other, I guess the other part of Hussein is like, yes, just the way that you cut through everything. You don't, you don't give this fluffy advice. You don't spend time saying, well, Joel, it's okay. You know, you're, you're okay. And you're doing fine, but you, you're able to get to, like I said, the heart of the problem and give impactful advice straight away. The no bullshit uh, advice, I like to say. And so he said, you need to do exactly what I, what you need to do exactly what I say. And I was like, yes, I'll do exactly anything. Anything you say, I'll do. And then, so he said, join Landmark. And at that point you had, um you'd invited me a couple times and I'd hum and haw. And I'm like I don't really want to do this self-help kind of stuff and it seems like a lot of work and I have to take an entire weekend and there were 12 hour 18 hour days it's a lot of work and I felt I remember I felt trapped I was like shit he had got me because I had said yes I'm like fine and so I'd signed up for a landmark and went through the Um, the forum which is the what is it the three and a half day um, intensive program and got so much out of that and ever since that moment life has just gone up and up and up I I felt like that was definitely like a low point in my my life and so being able to continually climb higher and higher and reach higher objectives and reach new things. And now like, you know, I've got two companies I'm doing fairly well. I get to work on great projects. I get to do this podcast. I think a lot of that honestly has to do with that uh, moment in time. And so I think that if anybody could get somebody in their life that is, and you just did this recently, right? You asked me, do you want the fluffy answer or do you want the no bullshit answer? Right. And I said, no bullshit. And you, you, you just like, it's like an arrow. Like you just went right for the bullseye and you just hit it straight on. Right. And, I, and so I really appreciate that about you because not it's, it's actually, it's a real difficult skill to have because you do it with such empathy and such compassion. Most, if most people did it like that, then you'd be like, oh, this person's just an asshole. but just trying to like, I mean, I think, Tony Robbins, he has some good stuff, but sometimes he comes off as an asshole, right? Whereas I never get that from you. I never get that impression that you're this cocky asshole that just knows what to do and life is all grand and peaches and roses. So it's, it's, it's a difficult balance where you give me the hard truth, but yet do it with such love and knowledge and compassion that I know that you actually have my best interests at heart. And that the fact that you don't give me the fluffy answer um, is actually, because I know it's a lot, it's a lot harder for some people to, to give that ultimate truth because it, it can be hurtful. It can be, it can be hard and it can put the relationship uh, at a risk, Right. But you never do that. You you always are willing to put that risk out there, and um, and are able to impact people in ways that a lot of people aren't because you have that that hard truth about you. So thank you. Um, I think we will end it there. You're um, that's,
1: that's a good way. That's a good way to. Good, uh, Good way to answer thanks for sharing that yeah, yeah. I, I think i think um one of the biggest things if i may say before i let you go um is the ability i've always appreciated people who put themselves out there and risk their selves themselves to give me something that is worthwhile i know my wife has done that mm-hmm. uh, she's always been like the my toughest critic and while everybody else was like around me kissing my ass and like
0: it's hard right it's not it's not always easy especially to the people that you care about most
1: and i hated that when she did it like (laughs) yeah exactly I I wanted to hear compliments I wanted like why you're not you know complimenting me and like I realized that that's what I needed at the moment I needed the hard the hard truth and uh, and I think these are people that are rare and I and I've asked myself who do I want to be for the people in and it's not always just like it doesn't always the other thing is that you sometimes fall flat on your face kind of thing Mm -hmm. so uh so it's it's it includes a lot of risk because we we want to be liked we want to maintain the relationship we want to maintain that people around us who like us but my question is i want somebody around me who likes me but they're like life is shit or do i want to you know to enjoy people kind of flourishing in my presence and um and i thought and i and i once you taste that as well, it's, it's a, honestly one of the things I want to add. It's a very, very selfish thing to do because mm-hmm. surrounding yourself with people that are that are kind of succeeding in your pre- like and around you and kind of achieving stuff around you is very addictive and very kind of um, fulfilling. So so that's why I do it. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. That's great feedback. Yeah. And, uh, great answer. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun.
0: It was a lot of fun and I, I think it was super helpful to people listening and watching uh, for people who want to reach out to you, where can they find you?
1: LinkedIn. Um, I am uh, the, uh, my new name is dark art mentor <laughs> because, because my, my book is the dark art of, uh, of life mastery. So uh, LinkedIn, they can research my name. I think there's only two Hussein Halaks in the world. One is a scientist in Israel. So he's done. He's done more than I do, like science stuff and whatever. And the other to you compete. Is me. Yours truly. <laughs> so uh, so yeah. So uh, you'll find me very easy. Search Hussein and you'll find this bold head. Hopefully, don't search for earlier photos of me with hair, please. Uh, so yeah, search for me on on Google. You'll find me. I have my or Hussein at Husseinhalak.com. That's uh, that's my email. Very easy to find.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom and all your knowledge. And have a great rest of the day.
1: Thanks, buddy. Love the conversation.
0: Thank you for listening to Publishing for Profit. Please like and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.